Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. And everyone, it's good to be with you. Uh, Before I start, however, let me just make sure I clean my hands with this Purell. I apologize for that. All right. Oh, wait a minute. I probably shouldn't have touched that. I think that just made my hands dirty. So let me just. That should. You know what? I wonder where this little bottle has been. It's been in my pocket. I'm not sure I've washed these pants lately. So let me just make sure. Think my hands are clean yet? How long will it take for them to get dirty again? You're probably used to this during this season as well, and I think this applies to other areas in our life too. Think, for example, of our homes. Just think about every time I empty that dishwasher, it seems like the next minute we're filling it again and I have to empty it again. Think about vacuuming. Does the job of vacuuming ever really end? Does dust ever really go away? No, it feels like no matter how hard we try, we can never make things clean. You know, there's a saying that says cleanliness is next to godliness, which is actually not in the Bible, though 50% of our country think it is. But I think cleanliness is next to impossible would be a better phrase for that. Now, we don't like to talk a lot about this today because it has become offensive to people. But according to the Bible, the same is true of our inner lives. It's next to impossible to keep them clean. Spiritual dirt called sin gathers constantly in our lives without any significant effort on our part. It seems impossible for us to remain clean. Just look at my shirt here. You notice I have some pride right here. Got some anger, some jealousy. I've got some bad attitudes like Pastor Jeff talked about last week, and they just continue to accumulate there on my body. I think you can probably relate to that as well. And so if you're following on your notes, I think you'd agree with me that it seems we cannot be made pure spiritually or physically, physically or spiritually. Now, here's the truth. It doesn't stop people from trying to cleanse themselves, though. And I know that two options people use in order to cleanse themselves from spiritual dirt. One way to approach that is to simply redefine what is dirty and what is not. My wife is by far the cleanest person in our house, and my son and I try this approach, right? It's not that dirty. There's only a few coffee grinds left on the table there. I vacuumed last week. I can wear these pants for a third day in a row. We're just redefining what dirty is. If I can just redefine it to an acceptable level, then my task in combating dirtiness changes. It becomes easier. Now, the other option that people try with physical dirt is that they try to simply limit the sources of contamination they come in contact with. So, for example, you could tell your children when you go home, you only can play with one toy today, that's it. Or you decide as a family, we're only using one plate for the entire day we're together. Or maybe you make them take off your shoes, or better yet, don't even let anyone in your house ever go outside. Maybe in my case, instead of using this all the time, I'll just wear gloves 24 hours a day. 
Maybe that will make the impossible task of staying clean more possible. Now, I think we realize neither of those two options really deal with the root problem of dirt. And the truth is, for centuries, people have adopted those same two strategies when it comes to the spiritual dirt that accumulates in our lives. What do I mean? Well, if you're following on your notes there again, many people try to redefine the nature of sin. When I do that, I can make sin more manageable. For example, I know Jesus said I'm to love my neighbor as myself, but if I can redefine who my neighbor is, then it's going to be more manageable to follow that command. So if I don't like those people, whoever those people are for you, maybe it's Democrats, maybe it's Republicans, maybe it's immigrants, like if I can just say they're not my neighbors, then I can manage the way I live better. I redefine Jesus' commandment to love my neighbor. Or how about this? I know that God asks us to say sex, stay sexually pure, but I might want to redefine that. I might say that was for another time, for another people. We've all done this sort of thing, but the problem with that is that God is the one who defines sin, not me. And his definition of sin is way stronger than my wife's definition of what is dirty. The other way people try to stay clean from sin, if you're following there, is just to avoid contamination. We've all seen this, right? Let's just huddle in our own families. Let's not go out into the world at all. Let's just stay within our religious group so this world doesn't soil us. Let's just live in a bubble together. And again, we've all been tempted to do that as well. The problem is neither of those two things really fully address the spiritual dirt in our lives. That's because in the Bible, sin is not just committing certain acts or breaking certain rules. Sin is not having a heart that is right with the Lord. And not one of us can say we have that. The truth is, even if I were stranded on a desert island, I wouldn't lack for opportunities to sin. And the reason for that is simple. My sinful nature that I'm born with would be right there with me the whole time. Sin is in my DNA. And so this morning, as we continue our series in the Old Testament book of Numbers called Life in the Wilderness, we want to consider this question together. Again, if you're following, is there any way for us to be made pure as we journey through life? Friends, if what the Bible says is true, that we are not pure as people, then what we need is something better than those two solutions, to redefine it or to avoid it. And thank the Lord, he offers us a better solution to our spiritual dirt. I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn it to Numbers chapter 19. Some of your notes may say Numbers 12. That was an accident on my part. But we're looking at Numbers 19. And in this passage, we're going to see how God provided a way for the Israelites to be made pure. I'm not going to lie, kind of an odd story. But then I want to do what we always do is look at what the New Testament says about this and how it still applies to us today. Now, if you're just joining us, let me just catch you up a little bit. We've been in this series uh, called Life in the Wilderness, where we're learning how to journey through this world, especially during this time of the COVID crisis with courage and faithfulness. And so we've been following the journey of the Israelites to the promised land. And last week, they refused to enter into the promised land. And so that here they are wandering in the desert, unclean and impure. And we come across this story in Numbers 19. Let's look at it together, starting in verse 1. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer, that's just a cow, without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, flesh, blood, and intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool and throw them onto the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till the evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean until evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them. They are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. Now I'll have you skip down to verse 21. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean till evening. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. No doubt that is a strange, odd text for us living in the 21st century, but I hope we don't miss the main idea of what's going on here. God is providing a solution for his people to be made pure from the contamination of death. Now, to understand why that was even necessary, we have to understand, if you're following on your notes, in the Bible, there is a close connection between death and sin, A close connection between death and sin. In fact, look back at verse 13. I found that so fascinating. When a person refuses to be purified, what does it say? It says that they could could, uh, defile the Lord's tabernacle. There is a connection between death and defiling the Lord's tabernacle. And you may be wondering, what's going on here? So let's pull back and let me just do some big picture teaching here for a minute. The Lord... His name is Yahweh, is the God of life, of all life. When he created it, it was good. And those who were to approach him must reflect that kind of life. That is why he created human beings in his image. Holy, we were created, without sin, without death. And because that was the case, we have this amazing thing happen in Genesis chapter 3 where it says Adam and Eve actually walked with God in the garden, fully in God's presence. Unfortunately, as we probably know, that all got ruined when sin entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, what else entered the picture? Death. Two things that God cannot be near because God is holy. Like matter and antimatter, if you're following, God cannot coexist with death or sin 
because God is holy. I'm not sure we understand the weight of that word holiness anymore. It just means completely other, completely pure, completely clean. I thought of a way to try to illustrate this. I've got a couple magnets here, right? And when I put them together, this is what God intended for us, right? To be in a close relationship. That's what he designed us to do. But when sin entered the world, what happens? We can no longer be in contact with God because God is holy. No matter how hard I try, I cannot fit these two magnets together. That is how holy God is. And we see the effects of this immediately in Genesis 3 when God has to tell Adam and Eve they must leave his presence. They must leave the garden. We see that similarly with Satan. When Satan rebels and the angels rebel with him, what does God do? He kicks them out of his heavenly host. We come across verses like Habakkuk 1.13, which some of you sword drillers looked and heard about Habakkuk this morning. But I'll have you read that out loud on your notes with me just so we understand this. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Now God's holiness is a problem for us because God originally created us to be in an intimate relationship with him. That was his desire. You cannot understand the story of the Bible unless you understand that. Too often people start the gospel or the good news of Jesus with sin. But the gospel starts with God's desire to be in relationship with his people. Yes, sin enters the picture, but his desire to be in relationship with you comes way before that happened. Sin enters, and it separates us from God's presence because of his purity, because of his holiness. And as Paul writes, unfortunately, the wages of sin is death, something God never intended for us. Do you understand that? Now, before I move on, again, another big picture teaching here, I want to explain to you the difference between sins and sin in the Bible. Sins, plural, are the bad things that we do, the breaking of the rules, all the things you see here on my shirt. But the Bible also talks about a thing called our sin nature, which I would just refer to as sin. And that's this. This is my shirt. It's my DNA. It's how I was born. I'm born into this world with this sin nature that's attached to me. That's important for, under, for us to understand later on. But sin, this right here, and death cannot be separated in the Bible. Death is the result of what? What is this? Sin. My sin nature. Sin is my DNA as a human being. The Bible says no one is pure. Not one of us. We have all been stained with a sin nature. And so listen, God has two choices at this point. One, God could abandon us. Or two, he could provide a way for us to still be in relationship with him, even though he is holy. And so in his love for us, he chooses option number two. And if you're following, God provides a way for relationship through sacrifices. Through sacrifices. That's what we're reading about today in Numbers 19. Leviticus 17.11 tells us, if you're looking on the screen there, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And so listen, through the sacrifice of animals, you wonder what all this stuff is about in the Old Testament, like the red heifer we're reading in this passage? God says you can be cleansed. 
You can be made pure. You must simply apply this water of cleansing to your life. Literally, that can be translated as living water. Just apply the living water to your life, and it will purify you from all the contamination that you've been in the presence of. Now, how did that work? Well, we read about it. First, we saw in verse 2, the priest was to take a perfect red cow that had never been worked. Now, this is unique in all of the Old Testament sacrifices. This is the only time where we're told that a cow was to be sacrificed instead of a bull or a, or a lamb or a goat. And it's unique beyond that because the priest was supposed to add some other things to this sacrifice. It would add cedar wood. It would add scarlet wool. Red cow, cedar wood, scarlet wool. What should that point us to? Blood. It's all red. It's pointing us to the power of blood. After the sacrifice, the priest would then sprinkle some of the blood towards the tabernacle, and then the entire animal, all of it, would be burned. Again, this is unique in all of the other sacrifices in the Old Testament. Usually the blood is poured out at the base of the altar, but here all of the animal, including its blood, is burned and turned into ashes. And the reason for that is simple. Since the power of purity resides in the blood, they were to take those ashes and then they would combine them with pure water. And it was that pure water that would then purify the people of Israel. But bottom line, if again, if you're following on your notes there, this whole sacrifice points to the cleansing power of blood. This is how God allowed us to continue to be in relationship with him in the Old Testament. As Hebrews 9.22 says, again, up on the screen here, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no purifying. After all these things happened in this sacrifice, the ashes would be gathered up. They would be taken outside the camp somewhere because they didn't want to contaminate the camp. And then it was sort of like you would add it to water, sort of like instant coffee added to hot water, though heaven forbid you never drink instant coffee in your life. They would take some of those ashes, mix it with the water, and then they could use that to purify somebody who had come in contact with death. death. They would take hyssop branches, and they would sprinkle those branches on them. But I want you to notice one interesting thing about the story. What happened to the person who was sprinkling the holy water or the living water on the person who was unclean? What happened to them? Did you see that? They, too, would become unclean. Think about it this way. If you have a dirty plate all full of yucky stuff, gravy and potatoes, and you place a clean plate right on top of it, what happens to that clean plate? It becomes dirty as well. Now, a third important thing for us to notice before we make sense of all this in our own lives, if you're on your notes again, the water must be personally applied to be made pure. Each person must have it applied to their lives. They would have to do that twice, once on the third day, once on the seventh day. Only then would the purification process be complete. And anyone who failed to follow this procedure remained unclean and would be a cause of defilement to the whole camp, including the tabernacle. That's how serious this is. That's how holy God is. And then finally, not, last but not least, if you're following again, if not applied, if the person chose not to apply it, the person must be cut off from the community. And again, hopefully by now you understand why. Because God is holy, his people are to be holy as well. And listen, there's no excuse here. 
This living water was free of charge. The procedure was quick and easy. God provided a way for them to be in community together with him. There's no excuse for not doing it. Now, at this point, I hope you're thinking, because I've been thinking it, this is all very interesting. I'm a scholar. I love to learn this kind of stuff. But what in the world does this have to do with us today? And the answer is probably more than you actually realize. You see, the passage here in Numbers 19 is extremely important in the New Testament because it helps us understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. In the first place, again, if you're on your notes, the ritual here shows us our deep need of cleansing still today. We still have a deep need of cleansing still today. I still have all this junk over my life that keeps popping up, keeps me from being pure as I want to be pure As Romans 3.23 says it on your notes there, would you read it with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Glory and holiness are very similar terms in the Bible, right? We all fall short of God's holiness. Therefore, we cannot be in God's presence, which is his desire for us. And it's our deepest heart's desire as well. Like the ancient Israelites, no matter how hard I try, I can't shake the stain of sin away from my life. Now, some of my sins are deliberate. Some of them are just based on thoughtlessness or carelessness on my part. But listen, instead of me redefining sin and just trying to do this, well, that wasn't, I mean, I I know I got angry, but I was right in my anger and I'm going to redefine what that is and I'm just going to cover this up. Instead of doing that, Instead of just trying to hide myself away from everybody else in the world, here's all God is asking us to do. Recognize your sin. Admit that you're not pure. Admit that you've done things in your lives. Admit that you're not clean. Now, I got to tell you, you probably know this. In our society today, some churches are reluctant to even use the word sin anymore. They feel like it's a negative word, too negative of a word, and so it will turn people away from a relationship with God if we use it too much. But I got to say, I just don't understand that. Because if we don't talk about sin, those very same people will never be able to turn towards God for a relationship with him. Sin is sin. It's who I am. None of us in this room, none of us in this world would say I live up to the standards I even expect for myself, let alone the standards God might have for me. But we can be easily persuaded about that, right? We can be persuaded that going to church or developing good relationships or having a good self-image is sufficient enough to pass the muster with God. I'm good enough, right? Now, where that line between good enough and not good enough is, I guess we decide that on our own. But like I said, God has a very different different definition of those things. And so listen, you have to recognize, just as the Israelites did, just as millions of people have, we have a deep need to be cleansed from our sin. Not just our sins, but from our sin. But God has provided us a solution as well. We don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. Thanks be to God. Amen. But God still wants a relationship with us. And so we find his solution in Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, which is a direct reference to this story in Numbers 19. Look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 13 on the screen with me here. It says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, 
He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now read verse 14 on your notes with me there. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? While God provided a way for the Israelites to remain close to him, the truth is they had to keep doing it over and over and over again. Just like that hand sanitizer, right? They would become unclean again and again and again. And so what did God do? He sent his son. He sent Jesus. If you're following on your notes, Jesus came to purify us from sin and death once and for all. And I want you to remember back to Numbers 19. What did that ritual require? It required two things for cleansing to, be, to take place, right? There have to be a spotless sacrifice, that red heifer. And there had to be a clean person who took uncleanness upon themselves to offer the purity that God gave. Hmm. Who does that remind you of? It reminds me of Jesus. Good job. He is the red heifer who gave up his spotless life, his pure, holy life, and he became unclean in our place. It's all about Jesus. The whole story of the Bible is all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And what that means is if Jesus has taken my sin upon himself, there's no stain left upon me. Not only does he get rid of these little red dots here, here's what he does. I hope I don't embarrass myself. He gives me a whole new life. He gives me a whole new nature the foul spots that I've worked so hard to redefine or to hide away from have finally been purged away and they were transferred to Christ. He took this upon himself, upon that cross a million times over. I am made pure, not just for a little while, but forever. I can't say this enough. This is why the gospel is good news. But here's the thing. Just like the Israelites, if you're on your notes, we must personally apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. This is where this story comes full circle, right? Just like the Israelites would be cut off from the community if they did not apply that living water, so too will all people be cut off who do not receive this free gift of purity that Jesus offers. But it's as simple as receiving it as a gift. I mean, imagine I had two tickets to Hamilton when they come to the Fox Theater in St. Louis and I couldn't go and I wanted to give them to you as a gift. How many of you would like that? But you would still have to receive them from me. 
You still have to take those tickets from me, even though I'm offering them to you. And it's an amazing gift. And so let me just ask you, what's standing in your way of receiving this gift? This new life, this purity, this acceptance. What stands in your way of confessing your sins to Jesus and your sin, your sin nature, and trusting that he wants to take that upon himself so that you can be made pure? I don't want to admit that I'm not pure. Maybe you don't as well. But that is the first step to being made pure. Acknowledging that I'm not pure. What stands in the way for you? Is it pride? Is it self-righteousness where you think, you know what, I'm good enough. I don't need this purity thing that Jesus is offering me. Or have you simply redefined what sin is and you've gotten comfortable with that? None of those things work. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. But here's the good news. John writes about this. I have this on your notes in 1 John 1, 9. Can we read that together? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, even so much that death no longer has any hold on us. When we turn to Jesus and we confess our need for cleansing, God in turn responds to us, here is the living water of cleansing, the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, that flows from the cross. He died to make you pure and righteous before me, and through him, you can do that very thing. I will make you brand new. I will give you a new life. You will be accepted forever. Of course, the symbol of that is what we call baptism where we die to our sin by being dunked into the living water and we come out as a brand new person, pure and holy. Now, of course, remember back to what I talked about, the difference between sin and sins. Are we gonna still have sins in our lives as followers of Jesus? If you're saying no, I wanna talk to you after this service. Of course. But here's what I wanna say to you. Those things are just gonna kinda, as we confess them, kinda bounce off. They're not going to stick to me. That's no longer my identity. My identity is now as a child of God, as an adopted son, as a holy one, as a saint of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm still going to commit sins. And we should talk about another message about how those sins can interrupt our fellowship with God. But please understand, they will not change who you are in God's view. Paul says it so well in 2 Corinthians 2.17. Can you read this with me up on the screen here? 5.17, excuse me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I will never have to put that shirt back on. I am a new creation, pure and holy in God's sight. So as we close, here's the question. Do you want to feel clean? Do you want to be made pure today? It's so sad to me that so many people, including people in the church, go through their lives like Lady Macbeth, and I'm, I know I'm quoting Shakespeare here, but hang with me, who constantly was washing her hands, asking that that foul spot would remove, but it never went away. It never went away. Perhaps there is some sin that clings to you even today. Kind of like a neoprene wetsuit. Have you ever tried getting one of those things off? You can't. I think I pulled three muscles the last time I had a wetsuit on. 
Maybe it's like that. Or maybe there's some sin in your past that you're sure that God could never cleanse you of. Don't believe it. God created you to be in a relationship with him. That's what he wants more than anything. So much so he sent Jesus to cleanse you and purify you from all of those things. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and need rest, and I will make you clean. I will accept you into my family, period. That's the gospel. That's the invitation he's extending to you right now. Sin and death can have no hold over your life because you can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you're following, let me ask you straight up, what is keeping you from being made pure by Jesus forever? If you'd like that gift of cleansing, I'm going to give you an invitation to receive it right now. Whether you're here, you're watching online with me, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you, if this is what you want, to pray along with you, me. Now, I'm just going to say, this is not some magic formula. The words that we're saying are not as important as what's happening in your heart right now. Do you truly recognize your sin for what it is? That is a part of your nature. Will you turn from that? The Bible says turn means repent. Will I turn away from my old life and receive the new life that Jesus is offering you? Are you going to follow him and his way of life? Then this prayer could be the beginning of a brand new life. So let's bow our heads. And if you want to join me in this, I invite you to right now. Oh, gracious Father, you are holy. You are pure. You're one of a kind, you're creator. And we are amazed that you created us in your image to be in a relationship with you so intimate that we can walk with you fully in your presence. But we confess to you right now, I confess to you right now, I have walked away from your perfect standard. I have sinned and I name it that way. I have disobeyed. I have not lived up to what you created me to be. And right now, today, I want to repent of that. I want to turn from that. And I want to turn to the cross of Christ where his blood flows to purify me. I receive that purification right now. I humble myself before you. I extend my hands and I receive the free gift you're offering me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with a new life. Cleanse me. Welcome me into your family, which is your promise. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to follow you wholeheartedly from this day forward. That I could be a light, an example of how you change and how you make us new. I pray this. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God who was slain. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.